0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the D&D Podcast. In our first segment, Shelley Mazzinobel and Trevor Kidd sit down with artist Tyler Jacobson to discuss his work on the covers for the new Core Rulebooks. And then, we speak with authors R.A. Salvatore and Troy Denning about the Tyranny of Dragons storyline.
1: Hey everyone, this is Shelley Mazenoble, and I am here with Trevor Kid and our very special guest today. You said I could make up any title I wanted for you, so let's see. I don't know the night of the Spaghetti Monster Tribe. This is one of our very favorite artists, Tyler Jacobson. Thank, Thank you. you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks you for just, having me. Nobody, Thank you, nobody really, really cool gets out of this building without talking to us. So no. I know you have like one day left here, and we, we just captured you on your way out but really thank you for for being here for people listening if you don't know tyler by name I, you certainly know his artwork it's it's staring you in the face probably on your shelves right now if you're a D fan or a magic the gathering fan mm-hmm. um if you have seen the awesome new covers for the core books coming out then you've definitely seen Tyler's work because you have done the the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide mm-hmm. the covers for those two awesome books so just a little history about you how did you get introduced to D&D
2: um I, when i was a kid we just um you mean it, being In an genre. illustrator yeah no when you were when you were a oh, kid oh shoot you know, just it just happened one of those games that All the kids He woke up when someone was like, here's some D&D. Yeah, I woke (laughs) up and my brother just put all the books in my hand. But, you know, I was like, oh, is this the little box where I can draw my character? Sweet. (laughs) Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, so that's the other thing that I was... I always wonder about this, especially like people who are really talented at things like things that maybe we all did as kids, but most of us just fell off because we're not talented.
3: I had a stick figure with a guy with a sword. Yeah. drew it. Sweet, I'm done.
1: So I used to be really good at drawing Garfield. Or so I thought that was my thing. (laughs) I would draw Garfield all over everything. I worked in different mediums, like pencil or crayon. Ooh, that's good. Sometimes. Marker. Crayola makes a good crayon set. But it became clear to me. There was a time, I remember the exact day. I was in fifth grade. And my fifth grade class was that we were acting as mentors to the kindergartners. And we would go down there and basically just play with them for an hour. And the kid that I was working with said, I want to learn how to draw a dog. And I thought it's cool. Like, I'm obviously Garfield is my thing, but I can I can draw a dog, and I showed him how to draw a dog. And I might be paraphrasing his exact words, but he said, "Ew, that sucks. That's not a dog. You stink as an artist, or what?" He basically like, that kid just shut me down right there. My career as an artist was over. And it's true. I'm not a good I'm not a good artist. You just I just mean, can't take criticism. Is that? Maybe maybe I which is really good yeah, yeah. So I definitely shouldn't be an artist if that were the case but at some point in your life you're doodling your you know whatever in the side of your notebook or your D&D mm-hmm. character sheets and it has to become evident that you're actually quite good at this yeah what is that when when does that happen who
2: well i mean i don't know if i ever thought i was good but i, I other people told me i was good <laughs> so, yes but eventually i i realized that yeah, maybe i can make a living doing this so went to art school okay um but I don't know, I mean like you said in my notebook I did I don't think I ever took notes. I just <laughs> drew figures in my notebook. Um from all kinds of different games that I played. Um so eventually I decided to focus, go to art school.
3: So was there some kind of thing you doodled more often than not, like when you were yeah. like, into like like the fantasy stuff like the dragons or was it Yeah, just... it was
2: like always warriors, you know, fighting <laughs> battles. Sometimes it would be battles, you know. It was it was cooler to do the characters, which is one, one thing I kind of focus on a lot in my illustration. Is um, you know, character portraits. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of those. So,
1: so when you work, do you? I, what is what's your medium? Is that like a cool art um, term? Did I use yeah, that correctly? That's, that's perfect. <laughs> you Used it
2: directly. The right one. All right. Um, <laughs> There's only one right way to say it. I did ask Kate for some did tips before. <laughs> the I trained in oils, but I I just work digitally now, just because it. Suits my workflow a lot better. Yeah, but I still kind of paint the same way. Like the same, I try and get the same kind of oil painted look. Oh my god! Which can be achieved.
3: Yeah. So like all the stuff that you've done, like the i was going to use the two most recent I know, the PHP yeah. and, the, and the DMG. Those are
2: those are oil paints. No, they're digital. Okay. So um, every everything I do now is digital. Occasionally I'll do an oil painting, but I don't get around to it. it's, you know, dry times and it just doesn't work with my workflow anymore. Yeah it seems like it would be a lot more involved as far as all the
3: equipment and everything.
2: So. Yeah, and, and for me, digital's more forgiving, and, like, and I don't have to worry about my paints drying out or my brushes getting ruined. And, so it works nicely for me.
1: So how did you come to work for Wizards?
2: Um, I See, I went to art school, and then when I got out, um, an art director for tour books, Irene Gallo, um, saw some of my work and sent it over to John Shindehitty. Oh, okay. And so that was... I don't know, a few months out of art school, John sent me an email asking me if I wanted to do D&D work. And I was like, are you kidding me? I grew up with D&D art, so absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't so say yes fast enough, pretty much.
1: When you're holding on to those those books or looking through those books as the 12-year-old kid or however old you were, mm-hmm. I mean, who would think that one day you would be doing the covers for, for some of our most iconic core rule books?
2: It's pretty surreal, yeah. It's, I mean... I don't know if it gets better than that doing core <laughs> books so.
1: plus you were only two months out of art school and you got yeah a,
2: that was pretty awesome paying job I, I, for a few months there I was wondering what am I going to do with this degree but then um got the call and I just jumped right into it I think the first job I did for John was something in dragon it was like uh an elf I think and she was sort of there was all these ruins glowing on glowing on the floor and she was doing something with candles i can't remember the name of the piece but that's uh, awesome that's cool
1: so what was your uh like the fantasy genre obviously suits you and is this something that you always were interested in drawing or or
2: yeah it's all sci-fi fantasy has always kind of been my focus and when i was in art school i figured that's where i would i would shoot for that um and i didn't know if it was going to be like Covers or right. interior illustrations for novels. If it was illustrated novel, um, game art, and so I was shooting for this, and ended up getting it, which was great. So. That's cool.
1: Very cool. So you also worked on the Sundering campaign.
2: Yes, I did a giant. I, I started out with a big, long character lineup for John. John asked me to do it. That's one of my um, favorite pieces, by the way. Oh, thank you. And I've was, always loved that piece. It was like seventeen figures, something—the one with dressed yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they did that at like they announced it at Gen Con, I think, for the novel. Yeah. The overarching story of. We made all...
1: posters. Even the sketch for that was. Yeah, it was, did it a little, looks, like I think we had ink. a poster for the sketch too. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you did that. So that's
2: that's, that a, that's cool. a great
3: piece. I love, yeah, that, I love it. Yeah,
2: it was quite a challenge because John needed all of the characters by themselves, mm-hmm. as well as in the scene, and then yeah. they had to go on their own covers. So, it was a challenge, and then I did the next one, which was sort of like the dark room with the big um uh, stained glass window behind the characters, and they were all sort of lit from behind, yeah with Esteval oh middle. yeah,
3: yeah, we used that one a lot
1: We used that yeah, that was very stuff. iconic for that campaign so going back to the sundering and the the character pantheon that that you had created there there are some of d and d 's most iconic characters that are part of that elminster dritz um. What what's that like? Now you have you know the the instructive to go forth and create elements here and draw Drist. Like what what is that?
2: It was um, I don't know. It was overwhelming for me because it was iconic characters, like you said. But um, Drizzt was sort of set because he's Todd Lockwood's sort of done him forever. Um, and Todd's got a perfect vision of him. I always thought so. That so, makes
1: it easier to um, recreate this at characters least I, or I harder. I didn't have to.
2: Oh, I didn't have to like do a lot of design work in anything on him because mm-hmm. it was already established. Um, so I just I I did my sort of take on what he, his face kind of looks like, but that's about it. Um, you know, his, his swords were the same. His leather armoring was all the same. Okay. I made. The cat Gu- Guinevere is it? That yeah. Okay. That's,
3: that's how I would pronounce it, but I don't know if Bob would agree with me. Sometimes I, I've,
2: a... I've heard different other pronunciations, yeah. so I, I just I'm call probably Gwenny. wrong. Gwenny, that works. Uh, I made her a lot bigger. Um, I think Todd has had her more of like a puma size. I made her just like enormous. Yeah. Uh, in the image, if you see, she's like rideable almost. Um, I think that
3: actually might reflect the books because she's supposed to be really big even for what she is. She
1: bulked up in between right. Right. books.
2: Yeah. I thought she should be huge. Yeah, there <laughs> you go. Yeah. But in Elminster, I did a little work on, he'd already been sort of designed, but I did some work on his staff to make his staff look a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think I use like a beech, birch, wood, or whatever that white tree is. I'm not that sure exactly birch. Yeah. birch. Is that it? I okay. think so. Um, but That's I had a lot of freedom on the other ones because a lot of the other characters didn't have much in the way of visuals yet. Mm-hmm.
1: So did you work with the authors on that or the little, art directors give you? Direct- a little
2: back and forth between like I would do a, a sketch or you saw the you know, sort of pen and ink looking sketch mm-hmm. um, and then John would look at it and say you know, whatever needed to be done and he would kind of send things over to the authors and they would say yeah maybe he needs this or that you know it was it was pretty back and forthy until we settled on an image that worked for them all.
3: I was wondering um, with for the cover's I can talk, I'm gonna move back to the covers if I could. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The like the Snur cover, for example. There's been lots of well, there's been a few examples of Snur, and we have like miniature of him and some art, some older art from him. How much of that did you like take into what you did, and just how much of it did you design yourself because it was it was a new style? And I
2: for a lot of those, because um, I, I think the Dungeon Master's Guide was also an iconic or used before character. Yeah, it's a cern um, rack. I said. tried to put blinders on for that so that I didn't really. You know, I saw the, the reference from the old ones, but I wanted to sort of get a new take mm-hmm. on everything, um, so I I think I saw some of the Fire Giant stuff, but I really didn't, I wanted my own take on it, um, my own design work, so I kind of built his um, dragon skin armor and helmet from just my own head. Cool.
3: Is it the same thing with the uh, the ledge that you did too? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I took a little from sort of helmet designs I'd seen and horns, um, but Yeah, I mean, I I kind of redesigned a lot of the stuff just the way I liked it. And the art directors were fine with that. Cool.
1: So what is your process, or the process, I guess, for working with an art director? Like, they come to you and say, what? Yeah, well, they
2: have have a whole art order format where it has a description of the scene and what they need, you know, what specific elements need to be present. Um, And then they'll hit, like, reference will be attached to that. I'm waving my hands around so that everyone can see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they are great hand motions. You know. <laughs> um, but the, so there's a reference attached usually to those files that. So if it's unfamiliar character or monster, you have something to go off of. I always like to try and make things a little, you know, fresh. But occasionally I get you know pushed back down to it needs to look more like this reference because it's a monster we use all the time.
1: Right. So what are some of your favorite D and D monsters to draw?
2: Um, I'm, I've mostly done human people. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but um, I did a. F- I like doing fire giants, and um, I did a fire titan once. Oh, nice! With a dwarf fighting him, um, I think it was for dragon or dungeon. I can't remember exactly. Um, that was a lot of fun. I just like the fiery aspect of it. You know, it's very exciting.
3: Yeah, yeah, I like the I like the snare a lot. I mean, it, I kind of like. Well, I really like the way that the different covers have a color. Like palette to it, like the center is all orange and fires, and mm-hmm. yeah, the the uh, monster manual with the beholder is is you know all blue, and then the DMG is is purple. Was that something that, that you got in the artwork originally, or was that the direction you took it? It
2: was um it was something talked about. They wanted to make sure that each book had a specific color key. Um, and luckily, I had already done the player's handbook, so like orange was established, and then um, the monster's manual had that blue. So they were like, well, we can't have orange or blue. We want something new, and so it was you know. I was doing a a lich and dead things. You know, purple seems to fit that. Like Mm -hmm. purple and yellow seems to fit that really well. So that's sort of color-wise it ended up just deciding for itself what was going to work.
1: And you did some of the art for the interior of those books too.
2: Um, I think just the monster's manual I did some characters, uh, but they were, I think, all human characters.
3: We have not seen much of the Monster Manual yet. I'm so dying to see that we'll thing. I have to check that out when we can. They're keeping so it under. I've seen a few things. I've wrap. seen
2: some stuff that looks really cool.
3: So. Yeah. I've, I walked by Chris Perkins' desk a couple times. Screen your neck. On What's some of, of this stuff. On? And I find reasons to talk to him so I can stare at a screen mm-hmm. for a while. So I've seen a
2: few of the interiors just from talking around with people. Mm-hmm. Some of the interior illustrations are just phenomenal. So I think when those books finally hit, yeah. they're going to be fantastic. We
3: a little bit of the Player's Handbook this week, and I've been looking at the contents and so see like oh that's cool oh that's cool I know oh this is cool and it's like, I can't I can't preview all this stuff
1: I know I can't wait I can't wait for people to see that um, so one of the the hellhounds on the cover mm-hmm. um, it actually kind of looks like my dog Sadie oh. well she's no longer with us but it's kind of like why well, I, I just that was the first thing that jumped yeah. out when we saw that arm. I'm like, it looks just like Sadie. Well, Sadie but I never a- pictured her as a hellhound. I know. We're
3: just like, <laughs> I don't think do you like- I don't like think It looks, like looks like Sadie, though. Don't they think it looks like Sadie? Like, the-, the-, the body shape and everything, yeah. But Is I'm just she- like, but
1: that's a hellhound. You don't want your dog look like a <laughs> hellhound. I know. She definitely didn't act like a hellhound. Is she
2: a but- pit? Yes. Oh, I love pits. See, that's why I <laughs> made <laughs> the hellhounds. Pits, it has the- kind of has that body type yeah, and like that- the head down on face.
1: Yeah. So I'm not making that up. That was definitely, but Sadie. So if you could do any job for D&D? Any, what would be your ultimate dream? Either a dream cover for a book or a dream scene or scenario or product or well, what I've, would it
2: be? I think I've done the dream covers. <laughs> I did two core books, so that's sort of awesome. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> um, done. <laughs> Is there a
3: scene or a monster or a hero that you want to I s-
2: I still have yet to do a dragon, Oh. you know, a full-on dragon for D&D. Okay. I think I've done a, a smaller... Waver- Waverin, waverin—I can never pronounce that right either. Um that one's Wyvern, I think. Wyvern, that's it. Um, I've done one of those with sort of a guy on its back and an exciting scene, but I'd like to do, you know, a proper dragon, and I have yet to do one. So, if any yeah. art directors, D and D, yeah, we'll talk.
1: We'll, we'll talk to Sean <laughs> we'll on your behalf. We'll, we'll make it's this possible. happen. We know people. It may happen. We'll never <laughs> <know>. <laughs> I would love to see that too.
3: You already covered it a little bit. The art director gives you some, oh, some right, stuff, right. and you go through
2: it, and you change it. Oh, yeah, it we didn't and, finish and you, that. Yeah, everything. I forgot to continue on that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I get that <laughs> art you. order. And then it, basically my job then from is to take everything and do, like, a sketch. Uh, and for me, I do sort of a black and white sketch, and it, I get a lot of detail into it. So I'm sort of halfway there, and I send that to the art director, and they'll say, oh, you know, this is right, or, you know, we need to change the detail on this or that. Um I'll make those changes and either resubmit the sketch or just go straight into painting the final and keep those suggestions in mind. Um, And then, you know, I turn the final in and they'll add their comments. Most of the time it's, we're good to go or we need to adjust this lighting here or adjust it so, you know, the logo's going to go in here so we need to move that, this, you know. It it ends up being sort of a small back and forth, but I I find everyone at at Wizards is really great with sort of minimal... Um, corrections. Yeah,
3: it's one of those things, we'll talk with Sean about it. It's like, it's, the artist is good, just kind of get out of their
2: way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thing, so. And I i mean, I think that's great, because it the less, you know, too, if there's too many people talking about one piece of art, it just, it can hurt it really badly. Mm-hmm. You know, too many people pulling it in different directions, they all have different opinions. So if they just kind of leave it up to the artists, they're going to get a really good result.
3: Yeah, I'm still waiting for us to get, like, I mean, we're going to do this at some point, but get the full images out there, like the the wraparound, just the art, mm-hmm. so people can use them as like wallpapers and stuff like that. And yeah. With, with one of the, I think we did it with the TMA already. But it, I, the, f- the full wraparound art with just the art is great for, yeah.
1: for all I of Yeah. I think these. that you, I think it was on your your blog that you I, actually showed the. Yeah, because put, what people see on the cover is, you know, it's just a piece of. The, it's quite the actual, cropped in, right? The, yeah. the artwork. Which one you showed it for? Maybe the DMG. I did them both actually, um,
2: just because they were both kind of cropped in. Yeah. Although the Dungeon Master's guide wasn't as much because we had thought ahead. Yeah. We'd already done the player's handbook, so we were like, okay, well, we're just gonna fit it in, so we don't have to crop in so much and cut out so much of the image. So but check Tyler's handbook, website yeah. if you wanna. Yeah, yeah, yeah to definitely see, that. see if you wanna see the full player's handbook image, which is actually a lot bigger than it appears. Yeah. Because they really cropped in on the, on the action on that.
3: And what is your website, Tyler, for everybody out there listening?
2: Uh, my regular website is tylerjacobsonart.com, um, and you can you can find those two images on there, but they're bigger on my blog, which is just tylerjacobson.blogspot.com. Cool.
3: And, yeah, we will get them up. Like we will get wallpapers up of all of them at some yes. point. But wait patiently.
1: Yeah, <laughs> in the meantime, you can see them, I guess. So yes. When there. you were doing the, the art for, did you know it, it was for the PHP cover, the DMG cover,
2: or was it? Um, I think the mm. player's handbook was sort of they wanted something for the core books, but they hadn't really decided where it was going to go yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did that image, and then it ended up on the player's handbook. But the Dungeon Master's Guide was specifically for that when they commissioned it.
1: Does your brother still play D and D?
2: He doesn't. No. Well,
1: he's probably still thinks it's very. But cool he really actually.
2: wants to. But he's. You know, <laughs> well, he's, he's got to buy the player's handbook
1: now. So. <laughs> he's bound to start I playing. think
2: yeah, Your entire I,
3: family has to bite now. Yeah. But when I told him <laughs> I hope about hope you have a that, big family. He, yeah.
2: <laughs> when I told him about doing the core books, he was like, I guess it's time to get back into it. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's pretty
3: awesome. Well, it is pretty easy to pick up now. So I mean, I've been playing a little bit with the starter. Yeah. And watching people talk about the basic rules. So it looks like hit that mark. So. Yeah, I've seen a lot of Now's people time, saying so. it's right. a
1: great introduction or, or a reintroduction. Mm-hmm. We'll just pull some of
3: those art Requests off of your lap so you have time to play DD and then
2: no. <laughs> yeah. No. Wait a sec. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no. That's not kind gonna of gonna a paradox so you know. here. We
1: yeah. keep piling more work on you because we want you to do more, but we also oh. want you to have time to enjoy that's true. playing DD.
2: But, you know, I love doing the art, so, and if I can get other young artists, like I was a young artist, to get inspired to be an artist just by looking at the game art, then my job's done.
1: Yeah. Well, it's probably safe to say your job is done, but not really. Yeah,
3: your job's not done. Well, I mean, I want, I
2: want to get players excited about the game, too, yeah. of course, but, um, as well as artists.
1: Well, maybe we should let you get back to work. Right. Yes. I guess.
3: Fine. So this has
2: been really fun. I yeah, know. I've had a great time. Thanks for having me on. But and I'm course.
3: sure you'll see more of his work in uh, some future D&D stuff. I, I would not be surprised at all. I would not it's be surprised It's not like we haven't been talking all. about it at all.
2: <laughs> I may have some stuff coming out. We'll see.
1: Yeah, well, we will keep our our eyes open. Wink and wink
2: for radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just so you know, there was some winking.
1: All right. Well, thank you again for uh for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. See you guys all next time. Bye. Always great to have you guys around the office and love seeing you here, but tell us, what brings you here?
4: I think I was on a 767-900 this time.
1: Okay, excellent. <laughs> and how about you?
4: I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I know that there's, you guys have been tucked away behind yeah. a closed door for a couple of days talking about, I'm guessing, some story ideas.
4: Yeah, w- without we're, giving
1: too much away, as I know we, I know that yeah. you guys work very very far into the future, so it's yeah. not we can't give away too many of the details of what you were here for. But
4: yeah, we were here to discuss um, some story ideas for that would go across many um, uh, media in terms of the game ideas and all the different game uh, mediums, role playing. So you, you, you talk about the MMOs, the for a future yeah.
1: annual yeah. storyline.
4: Yeah. Well,
5: I mean, there's, it, it's pretty clear now that the Forgotten Realms have gone, have gone to multimedia, and you've got MMOs, and you've got RPGs, and yeah. you've got TRPGs, tabletop role-playing yeah. games, and you've got, you know, so... Comic books. And you've got comic books, and you've got, of course, the novels. Right. And so, one of the things we've re- we're really trying to do, we both have books coming in the time period of the story we were discussing. So what we're really trying to do is to make sure that, you know, this is probably the, the strongest effort in the 27 years I've been writing in this world where we really want to make sure everybody's on the same page so that the novel can be a catalyst for things that are going on in this game or that game or things that are happening in this game that are tying up before the novel. We know what's coming, so our books will reflect that, things like that. Try and make sure everybody's on the same page all the, all the way through and even tightened it down a little more than we had done with the Sundering before. You know, make it even more uh, crystal clear that all the moving parts, exactly what we're doing. The other thing about the Sundering is I think it was a bigger scope. In ter- I mean, it was worldwide, right? I mean, it was this was a, a grand event to change everything. We're not gonna do that all the time, but when you have a world, a persistent world that people are playing in and reading books in, one of the tricks is to keep finding ways to put new pressures on the people of that world. I think That's why you adventure, right? I mean, if, if the if we were to sit down and come up with the final battle of the Forgotten Realms, and da da, and it's all resolved, well, people aren't going to role play farmers. So, um, you know, this we have to keep putting them under pressure, and so we come out here and, and devise new and creative ways for DMs to eviscerate their parties and things like that.
1: It's got to be very inspiring two days for you. You said, Bob, last time, for after the, you had talked about the Sundering, that your next a couple of books have been outlined just from these meetings alone.
5: Yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm finishing up a book that will be coming out in, uh, March maybe, but in the, around March, maybe late like February might be, but uh, of 2015, I'm finishing that book up now. And then I have to jump right into the book that's coming out next August. Um,
1: there's no rest for you.
5: There's no rest, but I had just a very, very skeletal idea Here's what's going to happen in the book, you know, beginning, middle, end. Mm -hmm. And in the first day of meetings, was really when we were talking about story and where that's going to lead. That book is going to kind of kick off, you know, where it's going to lead out the story of the area we're talking about. Uh, In the first day of meetings, in probably the first three hours we were in the room, I had the an outline for that book. 20 times thicker than I had in my head walking in the door because when you put a bunch of people in a room and you've got artists and you've got game designers and you've got you know authors and when you, when you put that, that collection in the room and you can all kind of riff off each other and, and yell at each other and laugh at each other and the creative energy just continues to lift you up. And I, I mean, I did this with Neverwinter. Never before we went to Cryptic and uh, Perfect World with the never the never the Neverwinter Game. We sat down with the team. We did it with the Sundering. And I thought the best summit was the first summit for the Sundering was the one that really, like, we could see the change that was coming over. Everybody's trying to get on the same page. And, and that's just carrying over now.
0: Well, let me ask, I guess, a loaded question somewhat. If you have a collection of authors coming together, does that make it inherently more difficult to tell a specific story that you have in mind? Or does it make it easier because you do have a collaborative thought process that goes into it?
4: It definitely makes it easier uh, because, as uh, Bob said, you can come in, have a basic idea, and when people start to brainstorm and build off of it, you, the ideas build themselves. Um, it's impossible to remember who actually contributes which little idea because people will be talking over everybody and then all of a sudden the idea will appear on the board. Everybody will say yes. And most of the time I can't remember who said it in the first place or, or what even brought, brought the idea up. But, but you just come to a consensus and one idea builds on another until it just feels right and natural. And you always know when it feels right because you get to that point and it clicks. And then you, you see it click around the room for everybody who's there. And, it, you know, just the eyes light up and it, you know. Um, I've, I have yet to be at one of these, these projects, and I've done some for Star Wars as well, where it becomes anything but, but a building positive experience. You know, you, you go in and you think, oh, my God, we've got so many cooks, we're going to spoil the soup. And it's not what happens. You know, it's, it's like everybody kind of comes together and somehow you'll spend half a day talking and and you'll feel like you're getting nowhere and then something clicks and then the ideas start coming out and pouring in and you end up with a soup that works, a soup that, that has everything it needs in it, but nothing it doesn't.
5: And I think that, let's be clear here, it's not like I'm going into the room or Troy's going into the room and we're sitting there and we're plotting each other's books or people are plotting the books it's more like we're all sitting at the same table and the the buffet we're putting out in front in the between is shared between everybody, right? So that like, if I'm, if I'm going to eat turkey and there's only, there's only turkey on the table, nobody else is going to be eating pot roast in their, in their project. So it's not like we go in there and, and you know, I, don't have, I don't know what I'm going to do with the next book. What do you guys think? And they tell right. me a story yeah. for a book. It's nothing like that at all. It's more like I have a general idea of where I want to go in the book, but I'm looking for ideas on how to fill, flesh that out. You know, I always think of an outline like a telephone pole, right? Beginning, middle, and end. Straight line but when you write it, it becomes like a tree and all these branches grow that you didn't expect. So when you go to a meeting like this and you've got all these creative people throwing out ideas, you're getting ideas for branches that can go and touch those ideas, right? And the other thing that's really great is if we're working this closely together on a, I don't want to say a common conflict, but on the a common pressure that was put on the world. And I know that Troy's over here and I'm over here, you know, we're X distance apart, but it would make sense. I might be able to say, hey, Troy, this character might be able to, you may be able to use this character in one of your cameo scenes to inform your party of what's going on. Oh, that's or he'll cool. say, well, Bob, you know what happened in the last book? This thing happened. And I'll be able to take that and go, all right, what would be a ramification of that that would affect my characters over here? And so we, I don't think we leave there having a, we each have a better idea of, of, what, of our contribution to it. But I have—I don't really know more of what Troy's doing necessarily. He doesn't know more of what I'm doing. But we have a better idea of, that if we go in these certain directions, it's all going to mesh together better. That, I, that, thats because I don't want to give the impression that we're in there, um, you know, doing a, a book by committee or a game by committee. We don't do that.
1: We roll dice yeah. and we say, okay, yeah. if you get yeah. six or higher, then Dritz is going to do this. Yeah, and the story—how it really works.
5: Well, Let's maybe, be honest. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe when you're not here, <laughs> that's what we do.
0: That's
4: what you do. <laughs> and the story that we're talking about, when when we're talking about a story, it isn't actually the books or any one individual particular story we're talking about. It's the it's the overarching story that is going to cross all of the platforms. Right. You know, we're we're talking about the story that's going to affect the MMO, the the t- the ra- the role playing and the table role, top role playing and include some of the books. Um, So that's when we say story, that's what we're really kind of building in the meeting. Right, similar
1: to what, like, take Tyranny of Dragons, which is our next storyline, you're talking about future storyline.
4: Well,
5: let's say we're, we're both writing books about San Francisco at the turn of the 20th century. So we sit down and say there's an earthquake that's kind of the event right. that goes on, and now we can go and tell stories around the right. earthquake.
1: But we can't have an earthquake in your book, and then where well, the whole city is destroyed, and then in Troy's book, the building is
5: standing. Exactly, exactly. That's awesome. the, so yep. this is really a consistency building exercise, yeah. and especially when you know now you have you have other people working on the realms outside the company. They need direction so that we can try yes. and remain as consistent a, as possible as we're going through this. Um, you know, I always related the sundering to, like, when people would ask me, you know, do, well, I read your book. Do I have to read book two? Do I have to read book five? Do I, have to, I would say, well, you got to think of it more like the six of us sat down and wrote books about World War II, and maybe I did the Battle of Britain, and Aaron Evans did the Holocaust, and Ed Greenwood did the North Africa campaign, and Paul Kemp did the Pacific, right? And Troy did... Um, it, the the Italy campaign and you know um, and did you read Richard's book about Pearl Harbor you know that type of thing so we're all telling about the same thing but we've got different characters that are in different maybe maybe every now and then one or two will overlap in places right but we're we're t- we're writing our books we're t- we're taking complete control over our characters and our books in the context of the bigger event that we all sat down and said this should be the event
1: so. By its nature, writing is, is very solitary. You're kind of mm-hmm. just by yourself or, or in your head, which can be a dangerous place to be for some people. But <laughs> I'm not looking at you, Bob, really. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so writing in a shared world, it kind of, I mean, you get to collaborate with, with other authors. But how much interaction do you have with each other when you're actually writing your books? Do you ever call each other and be like, hey?
5: It's pretty rare, you? for me anyway.
4: It, it is rare, um, it, and it depends on the story you're telling. With uh, so with the Watsy and the Sundering, um, you know, I would email somebody probably once a week, um, and you know, we might have a, one or two emails exchanges. Um, but that's because our stories were were worked together, mm-hmm. without running together, and without building. You know, that we didn't use the same characters, we didn't use um, storylines that started. And ended, you know, where one book would end, the next one didn't start at the at the same place, the same time. Um, so it required a little less coordination. But, uh, for instance, and when you use the same characters and the same stories, you're, the and one story that runs across like nine books, when you do that, you're on the email constantly, and it's it's a it's just as much as it requires, and and so that is thankfully. One of the pleasures of not doing it that way. Yeah, the
5: yeah. other thing is, I mean, it, it's when you think about the the time frame involved in creating these projects and creating a book. You know, if I'm going to write a book, we're talking six months of my life here,
4: mm-hmm.
5: okay? And and in the meantime, you know, we've got Ed doing six months of his life over here, and to the idea that we like that you could possibly, in the amount of time you've got to create this story, you're writing read everything else that's being created at the same time and and be able to keep them straight like and so i'm going to sit down and write the companions and meanwhile i'm reading the right the rough draft of paul's book aaron's book uh richard's book troy's book and ed's book well no because other than paul there wouldn't be a rough draft and even and at the time i'm writing the companions he's probably writing the his book at the same time because he's coming out two months after me so it it is impossible to have the the absolute you know this this vast library of everything that's going on here's what Perfect World is doing here's what Turbine is doing here's what this licensee is doing here's what the games group is doing here's what the other three novelists are writing the other five novelists are writing go ahead read it all and you'll be perfect and you'll keep everything straight if you tried to read it all in that time frame You'd lose your mind, and you'd never be able to get back to your own story. So that's why having the if – you, if you can share the beat points, so I know the beat points that's going to be hit in Ed's books or Troy's books or whatever, or Aaron's books, those, those beat points allow me to understand what's happening just to the left or just to the right or just behind or just in front of me uh enough so that my book will make sense in that setting
4: mm-hmm. and all belong to the same world
5: and all belong to the yeah. same world
1: yep. where and your characters have gone through this dramatic change what what where are they now kind of like wh- where are we going to where are we going to pick up with with your characters
4: well my characters are uh Clef and arietta ended um, the sentinel at sadric's spire and the next book, they will not still be there. They will have, you know, spent the, the few weeks to a, to a couple of months traveling home to Marsember, and they'll start start from there. Um, they'll be pursued by some familiar faces, including one that bleats. Uh, <laughs> that was a question. Yep. Yeah, so. So. <laughs> I and think
1: people will be happy to hear that.
4: I I hope so, but I hope that a couple will be slightly disturbed. Well. <laughs> You I gotta am.
5: have that. There, there's one I am. There. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is kind of a. I mean, we're, I'm already past that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the com- yeah. the companions came out in August of of last year, and the uh, at the end of the companions, I had the companions of the hall in a situation where they knew that they were going back to the silver matches because. One of them was just determined that that's the whole point of it all, was for him to go back there. And they were going to go with him, and he went with them to do what they had to do in that book. And so The Companions, like I said, was in August, and then you had um, three Sundering books come out after that. But then Night of the Hunter came out, right. which was the beginning of something we call the, the Companions Codex, which really tells the story of the Silver Marches War. And all around you know Mithril Hall, Citadel ad Bar Citadel Fellbar, the glimmer wood um you know Sundabar, Silvery moon, it's all embroiled in this huge war, um instigated by some usual suspects and so my companions wound up there, and they're they are still there as Rise of the King is about to come out um, and then in. Spring of next year, Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf, is the end of the the Silver Marches War. And from there, the characters will go and begin what we were talking about today in August of next year.
1: That's crazy. You're like, so far in the future.
5: Well, I mean, Rise of the King has been done for uh, um, six months, eight more than that, eight months. That book's already been written. And Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf will be done in the... Very soon for the March release, so I mean I'm almost done. The the I'm almost done three books beyond the Sundering already.
1: Um, Tyranny of Dragons kicks off here pretty soon, and obviously it's uh, we're gonna see a lot of dragons. And I'm just curious about your experience with dragons. Ever go up against any dragons? I Bob, you said they seem to come up a lot when you're Dming. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Interesting yes. how that happens. Way
5: back in... The first edition days of 1981, 2, 3, around there, I was DMing a group that had already been playing, and these are the guys that would do what we used to call Monty Hall dungeons. And so no matter what you would throw against them, they would, you know, if you, if you have a um, you, you have a party and the, and the giants come after them, they would take out their swords of giant slaying. If you had... Um, you nice. know, if you had yeah, it was ridiculous. I mean, no matter if the oh, they're fire elementals. Wait a minute, put on my ring of fire protection, put on this, put on that, you know, my asbestos cloak and and <laughs> you, you couldn't you couldn't beat them. So one time they were climbing the top of this mountain and they got then they knew there was a dragon up there. They were pretty high level and they looked in there and the, the ancient huge red dragon was curled on the floor and they were like, ooh. so they went down and um, they put on all their. They took out their 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 sort of red dragon slaying, and they put on their and their and they go running into the room, and the polymorphed blue, white dragon froze them in place. All <gasps> right, mother reversed that. It was a white dragon, and a red dragon breathed fire. I flipped the dragon with a polymorph spell, so they thought they were fighting the exact opposite, and their gear worked against them. Oh, so I could I could, like, I could make statements like I could make statements like. You're holding a, a frost blade, a- and you're wearing a ring of fire protection, so you will save at minus eight against the dragon breath. And, yeah, that was fun. How, how did they react to that? They threw pizza at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I get the pizza. I never even had well, a paper at me. I would just catch it.
1: <laughs> Ancient trick of the dungeon masters. Yeah.
5: Funny thing about tearing the dragons, though, is that when... You know, when I started the books I was working on, um, it just so happened there were a couple of dragons in it. And then when I heard about Tyranny of Dragons and the whole story of that, I expanded upon that theme. I kind of was a, I was, it was early enough for me to kind of play with what was going on in Tyranny of Dragons and the books I was writing then, even though I started those books before it was c- the story was conceived. It's
1: like you knew.
5: It's, it's freaky. We're all in the same world. And I think. Scary. Yeah. And I think Ed's really a mind flayer. And he's like. I I (laughs) could see that.
4: Pulling all the triggers.
1: Cool. Troy, what about you? Any good dragon stories?
4: Well, my first time I ever played D&D, uh, I ended up riding a blue dragon as like a third level fighter. And, uh. I also, needless to say, learned about resurrection spells in that encounter. Interesting. (laughs) And uh, I I have avoided actually playing against a dragon since. If I see a dragon and I'm playing, I run the other way fast as I can. I've survived longer that way.
1: Yeah, that's how Uh, I played.
4: Yeah, but uh, I did. I was thinking about that would have been the last time I had anything to do with dragons, but I remember now that I wrote a book called The Veiled Dragon um, that was about a Dracolich, so...
5: I had a Draco ledge yeah. in, in the Ghost King.
4: Yeah, and that yeah. scared me even more than than I got scared the first time. So, yeah, dragons are tough. Yeah.
5: I, I yes. had a group of high level characters once, and uh, <laughs> they were there was a blue dragon attacking a town, and it just kept showing up and attacking the town. So they were trying to find some way they could help defend this town, and they went to the this the apothecary, and this old woman in there gives you know she sells them these potions of protection from lightning. And they, and they, oh, you know, they're all excited, and they spend all this fortune, and they go, and they drink them. The blue dragon shows up and breathes on them, and they get blasted. And they, <laughs> after the blue dragon flies away, after it, you know, steals all the cattle or whatever, they go back into the apothecary, and they're chasing this old woman around, trying to kill her for. And she's like, oh, No, they were real. I don't know. And they're like, We drank those, and we still got blasted. And she said, drank them, and they It stopped. What do you mean? Said, no, you poured them over, you dummy. Oh.
1: <laughs>
5: and she only had one left. So she sold it to them for... It's only one left, so she sold it to them for a very inflated price. Of course. And the dragon shows up, and they figure, we're going to give this to the monk. Because if he makes his saving throw, he's taking no damage at all. So he pours the f- file over him. He pours it, and he goes running out in the field. And the blue dragon lands, and bam! And the monk goes... Yeah, he's gonna roll his dice and he thinks he's got this huge plus and everything. And I said, "Well, you're saving at minus four because you're soaking wet." Uh, <laughs> and he rolled a one, and so uh, now brother, whatever his name was, is a is a mark on the field. And the rest of them go back to kill her again, and she's gone. Shop's closed. <laughs> she's of got, she hired a wagon and got As out seen of town. On TV. Yeah, I'm not a fun DM. It's fun Are for you always me. The DM? It's fun for me, huh? Are you always the DM? No, of course not. I thought you. And they pay me back. Book when I'm not.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful of retribution. No,
5: I don't. No, I, don't. Mm-hmm. I pay for the pizza. That gets thrown get at me. you. I get to eat it.
1: <laughs> Whatever works. Right. So, thank you guys. I know this has been long days for you, and you're probably sick of talking, but we appreciate Sorry. you sitting down yeah. with us to talk about what's going on. We're excited to see this next story and, and your input with it.
4: Well Thanks for having me. It's always a blast to come out here.
5: Absolutely. It's, uh, it makes... It makes what I have to do writing the book a heck of a lot easier.
1: Good. Glad we can help.
5: Yes.
0: And that concludes this episode of the D&D Podcast. As always, you can hear the latest episodes directly from the website, DungeonsandDragons.com, as well as downloadable from iTunes. Thanks for listening.